From 12 News, this is Newsmakers. A proposed mega-merger between Rhode Island's two largest hospital groups, Lifespan and Care New England, is given the red light by the state's attorney general. You put them together, what do you get? Number one, they're not competing with one another. Number two, who can compete with them? It's a big decision that has a seismic impact on the future of health care in Rhode Island. Our guest this week on Newsmakers, Attorney General Peter Nerona. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi. Attorney General Peter Nerona, welcome back to the program. It's good to have you. Thanks for having me back. On a very busy uh, news week. We're obviously going to start there. You made it clear you oppose a deal like this as we talk on, on Friday morning. Yeah. Uh, it is unclear what the hospitals are going to do, but in your view, is this merger dead? Well, yeah, well, certainly it's dead from where I sit. You know, um, certainly this version of a merger is dead. I mean, our decision, uh, look, they can, take, they can take me to court and try to have it reversed, so I suppose I could take that action. Uh, but we're confident that our decision is the right one. Um, our decision is long, but it's long for a reason. There was a lot of material to go through. We felt like we needed to make a strong case uh, for the people of the state of Rhode Island, and we feel like we did that. As Tim said in the opening, this was a huge decision for you. Might be one of turn out to be one of the biggest ones of your tenure. You were looking at this, I think it was for ten months yeah. uh, once they applied. When did you first say to yourself, "Whoa, we might have to just fully deny this"? Well, look, I try to keep an open mind. I kept an open mind about Prospect, which is Fatim and Roger Williams Hospital. You know, over a year ago, uh, reached a conclusion there that uh, where we did what we had to do in that space. Same is true here. Went into it thinking, "Look, these are two uh, hospital systems that have delivered great care to the people of the state for a long time are led by good people and most importantly are staffed by great doctors nurses and other staff so I kept an open mind I wanted uh, if this was something that could work for the benefit of Rhode Islanders I wanted to to uh, to see that if I could but as time went on uh, it was pretty clear that what we were talking about was a really large amount of highly concentrated market share and that's just not a talking point that's from looking at the data and looking at it in a number of different ways and then once we saw that, and I would say that was probably sometime last summer, we then began asking ourselves, number one, do the benefits that they're proposing, are they real enough? Can they pay for them in such a way that they would out, outweigh those anti-competitive costs that would come from a merger? So there was that. And then there was also, can we come up with conditions that can solve for this amount of market share? Can we solve for 80% of market share and the harms that we know that that, that will do? You know, that process went all the way through, you know, yesterday or up to yesterday. Uh, so it was really a work in progress, but certainly the more we got into the material, the red flags went up and we knew we either had to solve for them. Um, and if we couldn't, we had to reach the decision that ultimately we did. On the market share aspect, Brown University President Christina Paxson told our colleague Steph Machado that she thinks you were looking at it too narrowly yeah. when it comes to competition, that you should have thought about competition regionally. You know, the hospitals mm -hmm. in southeastern Mass, the, certainly the hospitals yeah. uh, up in Boston. Why is she wrong? Well, she's wrong because she just hasn't looked at the data, if that is in fact her position. We looked at the data with experts uh, in this space, and, and frankly experts, and this was important to me, to find experts that didn't have a stake in the game. You know, our expert, Dr. Flum, has worked uh, to oppose an FTC uh, block and also supported an FTC block. So we wanted experts that could really look at this objectively. And when you looked at the data, when you looked at the data, it's very clear, and I don't know whether President Paxson, and I have a lot of respect for her, has read our uh, decision, I hope she does, because what you see in that decision is that no matter how you slice the market, it's a Rhode Island market. Over 90% of Rhode Islanders get their health care right here 
Rhode Island, when you look at the discharges from these hospitals, it, those Rhode Islanders are going, those patients are going back to Rhode Island cities and towns. The market isn't Massachusetts. The market is Rhode Island. And in fact, we did an analysis that pulled in 19 nearby Massachusetts cities or towns, and their numbers were nearly as high, way over the 30%, which makes this presumptively unlawful under the antitrust laws. So with respect to President Paxson, uh, I, I believe that we sized up the geographic market accurately as well as the product market. We, we, what if they had proposed to divest one or more mm. of the hospitals, which obviously by percentage would have made this a smaller transaction. There was talk of maybe Kent Hospital would yeah. be interested, or other hospital groups be interested in Kent, for example. Did you look at that? Was that considered? Yeah, look, you know, I, I, we didn't want to get into a situation where uh, we were coming up with a merger proposal for them, right? Conditions can solve for certain things. It's solved for issues in prospect. Financial insecurity, we solved for that by putting 80 million in escrow. You know, I don't view it as our job to come up with a merger proposal that uh, can fall within the antitrust laws. Look, these parties had plenty of lawyers, they had plenty of experts. They had access to the experts just like I did. I don't think uh, that, that this news, frankly, I don't think this news came as a surprise to them. If they were looking at it under antitrust law, which you know that they did, when you're looking at this level of market share, remember, 30% market share is considered presumptively anti-competitive. Look at partners in Boston, uh, Mass General Brigham, the big dog up there, 30%. Yale New Haven in Connecticut, 30%. Um, this is, we're here we're talking about 80%. It shouldn't have come as a surprise to them. So look, at some point, one could argue, I leave it to them, whether they could have, should have proposed something differently. But what I had to analyze was what was before me. And this was, was, what, this was what was before me. That's the analysis we did. And at the end of the day, you know, the reality is this, that merger, as proposed, would have eliminated competition, existing competition. That competition matters, at least to better quality healthcare. Without that competition, a number of things would have happened. Costs would have gone up, quality would have gone down, and access would have been limited. And that's not a good thing for the people of the state of Rhode Island. U.S. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, a former attorney general yeah. and, and U.S. attorney, uh, issued a statement on your decision. He had supported the merger. He said, in part, uh, quote, I'm interested to see how those responsible for these decisions will protect us against what seems now to be a likely, if not inevitable consequence, loss of local control over our hospitals due to out-of-state acquisitions. Is this a legitimate concern, General? Yeah, look, I think, you know, I saw Senator Whitehouse's uh, statement, and I, and I guess I reacted two ways. One thing uh, that I would say is that he indicated that he had guardrails in mind that could solve for the problems we identified. If he has those guide, guide rails, they weren't presented to me, frankly, and nor were they presented to the FTC, because I've seen what Senator Whitehouse has submitted, and there are no such guardrails that were submitted. Uh, so there's that issue. And we didn't find any guardrails that could be, could be designed here that would solve for that problem uh, as well. You know, the issue of local control is this. By turning over 80% of the market to one entity, they would have had control over us. We wouldn't have had local control they would have had control over Rhode Islanders and the healthcare system that they need to keep themselves and their families safe. So, so my, answer, my answer, I guess, to that concern, and, it, and, it's, and it's a broad one, is this, that we're in a position, um, both ourselves and the Department of Health, to handle the potential of an out-of-state buyer coming in here and trying to buy a system here. We can solve for those issues. We can solve for issues of financial instability, as we did in Prospect. But what we can't solve for and no one has presented any conditions to me 
that can solve for 80% market share? Because I don't believe those conditions exist. Certainly not such conditions that will solve the problem under the antitrust laws. Now, if you want to put something together that's outside the antitrust laws, we've spoken before about COPAs, well, that's something different. COPA, just so people at home yeah. know, it's where like the legislature would say, even though this, this violates antitrust, it's in the public interest, and it kind of goes around the AG, around the FTC. That's, that's exactly right. And so whether it's Senator Whitehouse or somebody else wants to come up with conditions that they think could put together a properly regulated COPA, well, that's one thing. But here we're talking about antitrust. And here we're talking about 80% market share. And here we're talking about eliminating competition. And here we're talking about bad effects for Rhode Islanders. And it's my responsibility as Attorney General to not let that happen. But so just to narrow that down then, so is it that you think, you think there is no way a lifespan care in New England with 80% market share could be kind of held down, you know, uh, like Gulliver? <laughs> or is it just that this version, you know, it would have required a lot of other activity, like the General Assembly setting up a whole new way of regulating healthcare prices and such in Rhode Island? Is it, is it yeah. no matter what, this wouldn't work, or it wouldn't work under the way policymakers were looking at it now in the hospitals work? Yeah, well, the way a COPA looks, the way a COPA works is you're basically saying, yeah, we've got an antitrust problem, and we're going to regulate to solve for those problems. Look, in my view, where that's been attempted around the country, it hasn't had much success. But you've got to build in the kind of regulations, and frankly, a body to, to, to use those regulations to really account for that market share. Why? Because, you know, I'm repeating myself, I guess, in a sense, 80% of market share is a tremendous amount of market share, and it has really bad effects if unrestrained. Um, and so, you know, perhaps that kind of a vehicle uh, might work here. I'm skeptical, frankly, but ultimately that wasn't my job. My job was to analyze the proposal that was before me, this merger. Um, and in my view, uh, the merger violated the antitrust laws, and there were no conditions. And no one presented me with any conditions, not the parties or anyone else that could solve for that market share. They I say they gave you 30 conditions as a starting point for negotiations. Is yeah. that true? They gave us conditions, but many of them, if not all of them, were things that were already committed to do. Abide by the OHIC rate caps, for example. The OHIC rate caps. OHIC is the Office of the Health Insurance Correct. Commissioner. Correct. A lot of acronyms on the yeah, show they today. Are. It's almost, almost like <laughs> you're talking to me when I was a Fed. Right. <laughs> you know, the OHIC rate caps can't control for this kind of market share. Why? They only apply to inpatient services. They don't apply to everything else. Where you see your doctor, outpatient services, including ambulatory surgical centers, which is where healthcare is going. So they can only control for a portion of the market. So look, the conditions that were proposed were things that we would hope that these parties were doing already, and they certainly weren't going to control costs or ensure that there's a kind of competition that makes healthcare better. Look, the reason why Kent is such a good hospital today is because they invested, for example, in cardiology. Lifespan responded, and they got better. The reason why they're doing better in thoracic surgery, both institutions, is because Kent invested and lifespan responded. Kent's doing better with, with uh, hospital-caused uh, infections because they saw their ratings going down and didn't want their ratings compared against lifespan's ratings. That competition leads to better results for Rhode Island. The argument, though, to what Tim was talking about, Chris Paxson earlier from Brown, and, and her argument is that, but in a state as small as Rhode Island, having two institutions building up those different capacities and competing with each other actually in the end might not benefit consumers because yeah. it's just raising the overall cost of the system and it's better to have one system uh, and clearly you don't agree but what yeah. do you say to that idea that, that it's actually yeah. not good to have Care New England spending more on cardiology which flows into insurance rates and then lifespan countering with more things which flows into insurance rates. Yeah, that, you know, Ted, that just flies into the face of all the research nationally in here. The reality is, is that competition keeps prices down because insurers, insurers are able to leverage one system against another. When one system has all the power, 
Where's the leverage for insurance companies? So look, you know, I've had my own battles with insurance companies, but they're the stand-in for the consumer in a sense in, in terms of cost because they're the ones that are negotiating costs. You take away their leverage because you've given the entire market to one entity and their ability to try to keep costs down is eliminated. That's what we were concerned about in part. You were, I would say, uh, critical of the hospital groups at your news conference on Thursday for failing to provide detailed information in a timely fashion. You said your office repeatedly asked for information that would outline how the merged entity would operate and what it would look like, but getting answers, and this is your quote, yeah. proved elusive. I got to tell you, that does not sound like they were very cooperative. Is that an unfair assessment of your comment? No, look, let me explain that comment. You know, I meant what I said. So, look, you look at this situation, you know it's tremendous market share. Could have ended the inquiry right there. I think that's what the FTC did, frankly. But we wanted to look past that. So, you want me to look past market share? You want to give me 80% of the market? You need to tell me a couple things. Tell me what you're going to do to make, make that, make that um, equation work for Rhode Island, meaning that the benefits outweigh the anti-competitive harms. So tell me what you're going to deliver. Tell me how you're going to deliver it. And be specific. Give me an integration plan. Tell me how you're going to put the system together so that you can deliver those benefits. We never got that plan. The last thing that they submitted to us in October said, this is not an integration plan, that that will be developed after the merger is approved. When it came to financing, there was no plan to pay for all these things that they said they were going to develop. So, so what that left me with was this. You want me to give you 80% of the market. It's unprecedented in New England and around the country. You want me to give you that share of the market, but you don't want to tell me what the benefits are and how you're going to achieve them, both in terms of the detail of what you're going to deliver and how you're going to pay for it. So that requires an awful lot of trust on my part here. And I think, I think frankly, Rhode Islanders have um, been done a disservice in the past when regulators like my office take things on faith and don't do the due diligence. We did the due diligence here. It led us to the conclusion uh, we reached, and I think at the end of the day, it's better for all Rhode, Island, all Rhode Islanders. All right, we're going to take a break here on Newsmakers. Look, I know this topic is thick, but it is important. The two hospital groups employ 22,000 people. As you heard, a lot of people use those hospitals, so it was an important decision. Our guest is Attorney General Peter Narona. Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi. Our guest this week is Rhode Island Attorney General Peter Narona. We've been talking uh, for the entire first half of the show <laughs> about the hospital merger between Lifespan and Care New England that yeah. you, you denied this week. And we're going to talk more about that. But just, I guess, uh, you know, taking a broader look at the whole thing, there is only a finite amount of resources that your office has. Uh, in your news conference, yeah. I think you mentioned your staff reviewed 11 million pages? or 3 million. Okay, all right. No, three 11, million million pages. 11 million pages, 3 million documents. Yeah. All right, thank you. All right, I thought I heard See, that right. Have, you had it right. <laughs> <laughs> but look, either way, that's, that's, that's a, a lot. That's a lot of bandwidth yeah. for your office. And I, I did wonder, as I was watching your news conference yesterday, if, if this decision frees up a logjam for other big cases that are sitting on your desk to be decided on. Well, look, our civil division is more active than it's ever been. Uh, and one thing I'm really proud of is that that's a really strong team. And we're going to have other health care issues that we're going to have to address going forward. When I took office, we had one person doing health care. <laughs> um, and that's just inadequate for today's health care mission in the office. We have built a really strong team that's able to take on really complicated issues because we don't have the luxury of saying, well, this seems like a good idea as long as we do X. 
we've got to really analyze it. They did a great job. Yeah, there'll be some, I think. And you short... brought in six outside firms or attorneys, right? Yeah, I mean, this, yeah, for yeah, this one. yeah, we did. But I will say that it was, it was our team that was working for the last really two weeks, really, to kind of take our thoughts and put them in a decision that I think is persuasive and comprehensive. So look, there'll be a short period of time, I think, where they'll have some, have some space, but the reality is there are gonna be more issues ahead. And look, we're way more active in other areas. We're more active in environmental protection. We're more active in the public utility space. Uh, the troops are uh, energized by that work. Um, I'm really proud of their work in that space, and so uh, I think there are more good things to come from the office. You know, a lot of people are going to want to know where things stand in a bunch of high-profile cases. I'm yeah. just going to ask you one, and I know you loathe to comment on mm -hmm. active investigations, but um, former basketball coach uh, in North Kingstown, Aaron Thomas, been accused by former athletes of inappropriate conduct. Your office is conducting a criminal investigation. Mm -hmm. Uh, where does that stand? Yeah, it's progressing. You know, I think a uh, strong team there. You remember the lawyers working on healthcare come out of my civil division. You know, lawyers on a case like that come out of the criminal division. But we've got a good team there. They're making progress. Uh, lots of allegations. Tim, as you know well, uh, working through those uh, through those matters. And uh, when we're in a position to tell the public where we are, we'll do that. Okay. Another investigation people at the Statehouse wonder about is the ILO group contracting issue. Again, yeah. as Tim says, you don't usually like to give us status updates on this case of investigation, but that one in particular is politically sensitive. I yeah. know Governor McKee's team would like to have you come out, give them a clean bill of health sure. so they can move on. Anything you can say about that? I can, other than, than I can assure the public of this, that you know we're gonna approach that matter as we do all the matters that, that, we, that we take on like that. And, and frankly, the way I did when I was U.S. Attorney, you know, we're going to do the deep dive we need to do to understand what, if anything, happened and what the implications are. And the timing isn't driven by anything other than than that. Understanding what happened, understand whether or not there's any uh, relevant law to apply here, and when we're ready to share our results with the public, we will. But but that our my decision making is never driven in anything other than by that. What's the what's the law? What are the facts? Put them together and come out with what I hope uh, is a decision that the public can rely on. Uh, there has been a back and forth between the General Assembly and Governor McKee about extending the executive order that allows for public bodies to hold meetings online. Whether you like it or not, you are charged by law <laughs> to handle yes. open meetings and, and, and public records um, disagreements. What policy would you like to see in place for using technologies like Zoom or, or public meetings? Well, look, I think public I think public officials ought to be in the room, you know, provided, you know, the healthcare concerns aren't there. It's, you know, we've had those obviously over the last couple of years. I, I do think personally that making it uh, making it uh, that technology available to the public so that you can look in on a meeting, um, you know, hopefully um, share your points by uh, using technology would be a good thing. I think the more that people see their government in action, well, it's good for, it's good for government itself, meaning it's more transparency leads to, I think, better decision making. It also leads to better confidence in the decisions that are being made. So I'm in favor of allowing the public to uh, participate remotely. I think, I think we have the technology to do that, in my view, is that we ought to allow them to do that. Does the law need to change, do you think? Do you need to rewrite the Open Meetings Act to, to do that, or is it just? No, my, my recollection, Ted, is no. I, the, the, law, the law requires the public body mm -hmm. to be in person. Um, it doesn't say anything about what they do vis-a-vis -vis the public. So, you know, when there was a lot of confusion about this some months ago, we came out with some guidance about that. The public body has to be there, but they can make, uh, make the meetings available to the public remotely, and they can allow the public to participate. So not just watch, but also participate.
So the law doesn't need to change to allow that to happen. I do want to touch on a criminal case uh, right now that you can talk about because mm -hmm. it wrapped up. And I'm bringing it up because as we record this on a Friday, just hours ago, uh, Hells Angels President Joseph Lancia was officially sentenced to serve five years at the ACI in a weapons charge. And the upshot of the whole thing was he, he fired a weapon at a truck yep. being driven by a foe of his. Prosecutors Jim Baum, Joe McBurney handled this one. Zooming beyond, out beyond the incident itself and looking at the Hells Angels, why was this case important to your office? You know, look, I think when, you know, we're handling at any given time 9,000 felony criminal cases. That's a lot of criminal cases. What's really important to me, and it's something I've long believed in, is focusing your prosecutions on, uh, on the uh, most significant threats. So when you've got organized activity that is engaged in violence or drug trafficking, that's where our focus needs to be. It, frankly, it explains some of the, um, of the statutory changes we've advocated for. I have a limited number of prosecutors, as you point out, roughly 70, uh, you know, 100 lawyers in the whole office. I need them focused on the most significant cases that matter to Rhode Islanders. So violent crime, gun crime, drug trafficking crimes, uh, public corruption, uh, environmental crimes. Uh, that's where I need their focus. And so this is a good example of focusing, frankly, some of our, of our best resources, our best prosecutors, on cases that have a real impact. This is a group um, that is obviously organized. This particular defendant was obviously prepared to engage in violent activity. That's exactly where our prosecutorial focus should be. How um, concerned are you, I'm sure you're very concerned, but the rise in violence in Providence that yeah. we saw mm -hmm. last year, I know you've taken various steps, your office is involved, but at the same time, I could see some people saying, well, you know, yes, it's the police immediately responding, but then it's the Attorney General's office, their job to find these bad actors, get them off the streets, et cetera. I mean, when you look back at the violence last year, do you yeah. say, I wish we'd been able to be more active or get on this faster? Well, look, I think we are active. I think one of the, one of the issues that, um, that has plagued the country is a rise in violence everywhere. You know, Rhode Island actually, every death is too many, every shooting is too many, but relative to our peers, according to the data that I've seen, is actually doing somewhat better, but it's still a, a difficult and dangerous situation. What we try to do is exactly what I mentioned a moment ago, is to pivot our, pivot our prosecutorial approach to being more active in identifying people and getting them off the street. Typically, prosecutors get the case, and these kinds of cases, violent crime cases, um, you know, police make an arrest with somebody with a firearm, we prosecute them. We're, we're doing that, but I thought we needed to do more than that. And so we put together this task force, Providence, Central Falls, Pawtucket, to get out there on offense and identify these bad actors before we shoot. That's what we need to do. We're doing some other work, too, through our BCI unit. But it's having an impact already, and I expect it'll continue to have a positive one. I want to pivot back to hospitals, mm -hmm. but actually not yet back to the Lifespan Care New England, because yeah. there's another <laughs> potential hospital transaction that's brewing. Uh, we reported this week Prospect Medical Holdings, which you've been mentioning, owner of Roger Williams and Fatima, is considering a deal yeah. that would transfer ownership of those two to two out-of-state organizations. Um, they Prospect's been winding down. It seems like it's East Coast operations. Your office had an introductory meeting with the potential yeah. buyers last week. What did you take away from that? What do you say to folks at home who might use those hospitals, work at those who might be concerned yeah. about more instability there? Yeah, look, you know, the takeaway from the meeting was somebody asked to meet with me, you know, and so we sat down and we listened, you know. Uh, it was not overly substantive. It was really an introduction. Um, and that kind of thing happens all the time. Uh, you know, when we're talking about those two hospitals, though, Roger Williams uh, and Fatima Hospitals, look, we took a strong stand there a year ago. We took a strong stand because over time, it's pretty clear to me that those hospitals have not been able to keep up with their capital expenditures that they need to make to invest in their hospitals and meet their operating costs. 
And so we're going to be we're going to be standing right there if somebody wants to come in and buy those hospitals to make sure that they're in that place for the next five years at least, which is what we've already solved for. But it brings up a broader question about healthcare. If we want to talk about fixing healthcare, we can't do it in the context of these individual transactions. This is where we need to fix the problem. It's the payer mix that's the problem in, in Rhode Island. Those hospitals, those two hospitals, Fatima and Roger Williams, suffer because they're safety net hospitals. They've got a lot of public payer mix there and so they're dealing with Medicaid and Medicare. Medicaid and Medicare, right. And so they don't have a lot of commercial payers and so their bottom line is weaker. You know, that's kind of a structural thing that we need to fix. It's been fixed in places uh, like Maryland, for example, which has spread some of that some of that uh, that payer mix out, make it more even so that all hospitals can kind of rise together. But that requires the cooperation of the federal government. And so, look, you know, I talked to the governor briefly yesterday and, about the decision. I said, look, we're not going to solve our health care problems going transaction by transaction. That's not how we fix this. We fix this by getting the right minds around the table to talk about health care on a more structural basis and trying to solve some problems here. That's not the bureaucrats, guys. What that is is real deep thinkers in this space, and they exist in Rhode Island. They exist here. We can do it, but we have to have the will to put the team together. But you're talking about, with Medicaid in particular, you're talking about then taxpayers maybe need to spend more money, in your view, on the Medicaid program, which is already you know, billions of dollars a year, to give more money to these hospitals. Well, not just Medicaid, Medicare. So what Maryland did was, what Maryland did was they raised the Medicare and Medicaid numbers to come closer to the commercial numbers. It's kind of spread the spread the overall hospital cost out amongst the entire hospitals across the state. That made in the long run, it's been going on for 20 years, that made all the hospitals as a whole do better. But what we've been doing in Rhode Island is, is sort of, to the extent we're doing any healthcare thinking at all, we're doing it on this transaction by transaction basis. And we can't solve, uh, we can't solve our problems that way. What we do is we end up where we are with Lifespan and Care New England, putting 80% of market share in one place on a hope and a promise, and in my view, that's a mistake. Uh, we have about uh, 45 seconds uh, left here, so with all that said, how involved are you gonna be, if at all, in trying to make something like that happen here? You know, look, you know, we've developed, I, I think, a lot of, I think, strong thinking in this space. You know, certainly we have had access to material that we didn't have two years ago, and so, look, I am willing to sit around any table to help sort this out, but we need, we need um, stakeholders Obviously, we need people, obviously, and most importantly, from people in the practice uh, of medicine and the delivery of healthcare, nurses, doctors, and others. We need public health thinkers. Ten seconds. Yeah, we need public health thinkers, and we need the federal government to participate here. Attorney General Peter Narona, thanks for joining us. Thanks for watching. Ted and I will see you next week on Newsmakers.